All right, so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 14 today. Um, it's kind of an interesting chapter to, to be in after what Gary talked about this morning, because uh, this has some kind of fiery images if you if you look ahead a little bit. So we want to figure out how to make sense of, of all that and look at it together. Uh, we're a little behind time, so we'll skip our kind of intro discussion where, you know, I wanted you to think about the relationship between anger or even wrath and justice or discipline, right? How do those go together? Is there a negative way sometimes they can go together? Is there a positive way they can go together? Uh, we'll just kind of be thinking about that as we as we go through that. You know, as, as we're focused on love, and we talk about, you know, some of these images of judgment in Revelation. Um, I, I think to me, the question is, what does love do when there is injustice, when someone that you love is being hurt? Uh, what does love call us to do in that situation, right? Uh, I think we all agree to do nothing about those who are causing harm. That's not really a loving action. And, and so Revelation is trying to answer that question, right? It's looking first at Jesus and what he did as the slaughtered lamb, but working out, okay, what does that do when we're facing these, these beastly powers, right? So in the last chapters, I've been looking at the dragon and the beast, these images of, of the devil and uh, how that power is, is uh, given to earthly authorities. Uh, for John, it's the Roman Empire, but again, it's it's any sort of uh, beastly authority today. Uh, when it's you know, you, it's peace through violence, right? That sums up the Roman Empire a lot, and and a lot of empires through history. And so we want to be able to pay attention, right? Revelation is revealing that pattern so that we can pay attention to it in our time, in our place, in in different ways. Uh, but let's get into to chapter fourteen here. Uh, you know, because chapter 13 was a pretty hopeless picture, right? There's this beast and it's killing all the faithful people. So what now? Uh, what is God doing here? So verse four, chapter 14. Then I looked and there was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. As these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins, these follow the lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from humankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouths, no lie was found. They are blameless. Uh, so here we're seeing what does it really look like to conquer in the face of this beastly power. Uh, so we get first this image of uh, the 144,000, right? We've seen that number before. Uh, and if on the second handout there, the, uh, I think I passed that out earlier. It kind of shows you here's a lot of, of ways that numbers tend to work in Revelation, at least according to most, most theories. And so 12, right, that's a symbol of completeness. And it's also associated with Israel. Uh, the 12 tribes, 12 apostles, and so 12 times 12, and then 1,000 can both intensify a number that you've already got, and uh, 1,000, and, uh, and well, you go to the Old Testament, was also a, like a military uh, number, right? Like, they'll, you'll see it talk about their thousands, uh, and so this sounds like the army of the Lamb, right? Um, and that's, uh, I'm not sure if it calls them that, but that's, that's kind of the idea here. This is the Lamb's army, but how does the Lamb's army fight? by singing with one voice, right? All together, they're singing this new song. So this is another thing to pay attention to, especially towards the end of this book is, look how often there seems to be like battle imagery 
but then there's no actual battle, right? We have this army assembling, but they don't go and fight anything. They stand and they sing. And that's how they uh, show faithfulness to God. And so in contrast to the mark of the beast that we saw in the last chapter, they're marked with God's name in that first verse. So, right, this, that's, off, again, often the way that Revelation works. It's, it's very either or. Either you are with the lamb or you are with the beast. It doesn't leave much room for, for in-betweens. And so it's going to mark, mark you as one or the other. And they overcome by being faithful, even to the point of death. Right. So if you go back to chapter 13 uh, in verse seven, it talks about the dragon, and the beast they've conquered. They make war on the saints and conquer them. And, and so and right, that's probably speaking to some of the things that they were experiencing in their time of uh, seeing uh, violent persecution or just, you know, other forms of persecution. And it feels like this beastly power, the Roman Empire in their time was was conquering them. But this is saying, no, this army is still overcome. Um because that's how the lamb conquered, right? That's what Jesus did, uh, willing to suffer even to the point of death. And so that's what we expected as well, right? We're not redeemed um, from suffering, as in we get to avoid all that bad stuff. We're redeemed through suffering. That's the way of, of Jesus. That's the way of the cross, as we talked about a lot. Now, it's got some other kind of odd imagery here to talk about this, this army. Uh, it sounds like they're all honest virgins, right? And verse 4. Uh, they've not defiled themselves with women, and uh, verse 5, they're, they don't lie. So what is this saying, right? Is it saying only celibate men can follow Jesus, or they have special status? Uh, I don't think that's probably the case, because that excludes um, probably most all of us, right? Um, so it actually is tying back to, again, Israel's history. In, Israel, in the army, men were expected not to sleep with women right before a battle. Right? You can see that in Deuteronomy 23. Uh, David talks about that in 1 Samuel when he's saying, you know, these guys can eat this bread because they haven't defiled themselves, right? It's not that sex is bad. It's just a way of setting apart uh, before a battle. This is what men were expected to do. And so it's, I think it's just kind of carrying on that same sort of Im imagery. And, um, you know, as we're going to see, especially going in with the, um, the prostitute of Babylon, uh, in uh, sexual immorality is often used as a way to talk about religious unfaithfulness, right? It's like you're cheating on God. And so I think it's that sort of idea as well, that they are faithful in that sense to God alone. And so that parallels with the, the not lying thing, them being blameless. Um, because in Revelation, lying is, is less about, you know, did you say something that wasn't true? It's, are you giving into the falsehood of the beast and the false prophet, right? Not that little lies are okay, but that's that's the deceit, that's the lying that Revelation is often focused on. Are, are you believing uh, or even perpetuating what the false prophet says, what the beast says? And so they are, they're not doing that. This is all just a way of saying that the Lamb's army is, is faithful, right? They're, they're doing what Jesus did. They follow the way of the Lamb, and they follow the Lamb wherever he goes, as it says in verse 4. So that's, they, they see what Jesus does, and they do that. So any of us that do that would, would be a part of this, right? If we're following the way of Jesus, we're a part of, of this army. Uh, it's not limited to a, you know, a, a literal 144,000. It's any who are joining in with the way of the Lamb. All right, any questions about that? Is that, that making sense? All right. Uh, you also have the first fruits imagery in verse 4. I, I've talked about that before. Is just It's anticipating a future multitude, right? This is kind of the, the start. Those who have already given their life, perhaps, um, but we trust that if God has redeemed them, 
God is going to redeem more. And that's our hope. Uh, so even if it looks like they've been conquered, even when it looks like we've been conquered by other powers, we believe that we're more than conquerors, as Paul says in Romans, and we can trust in that. Okay, any anything there? Uh, what I mean, when you hear the word conquer, it's a big theme, so probably keep coming back to it. What does conquer tend to mean? What do we think it looks like to conquer or to be victorious? Do we think that it works to lay down our lives for the way of Jesus? Does that seem like failure? You know, honestly, I think, yeah, it's, it's hard to believe that sometimes. We want to just win and be on top. And I think this is challenging us to see uh, that's maybe not the way that it should work. All right, let's keep going because I want to I want to spend a, uh, more time uh, in verses nine to thirteen. So uh, let's just keep going through this this first part here. Uh, so verse six six to eight, we have a couple angelic announcements here. Then I saw another angel flying in mid heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. He said in a loud voice, "Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come." And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Then another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So we have this gospel proclaimed, right? Good news is still proclaimed even to followers of the beast, right? Every nation, every tribe. So this is for everyone to hear. Um, you know, in their time, gospel, it, it actually had a political meaning. I, you know, we associate with the good news about Jesus, but Caesar had his own good news. It would always be about, you know, here's the battle that we won, right? This is good news, and it would be proclaimed throughout the empire. And so when Christians come along proclaiming an alternative gospel and saying Jesus is Lord, again, that's a challenge to uh, the power of Caesar. And here it's a question of whose good news are you going to trust, right? The good news that Rome can defeat any other nation that it wants to or the good news that, that Christ died for us, and that is what conquers. Where are we going to give our allegiance? And so we also hear this first reference to Babylon there in verse, verse 8. I think that's the first time it comes up. Uh, that's a common symbol through scripture of the ungodly empire. Um, right? It goes back to the Tower of Babel, where people tried to you know, uh, uh, equate themselves with God. It's the actual Babylonian empire that, that exiled Israel. Um, and then now we see it applied to Rome, right? Peter as well, in First Peter, will use this analogy. When he's writing Rome, uh, he talks about it as Babylon uh, because they're persecuting Christians as well. So it's any oppressive empire. Babylon is not just one specific time and place. It's, it's seen throughout history. And what it does in, in the end of verse 8 is it makes people drunk on, on I think you say, violence and sexual immorality, right? The wine of her wrath of her fornication. And uh, that, that word is, covers a lot of, of sexual sins. Um, why are things like violence and sex so um, intoxicating? To use his metaphor there. Why, are those, why do people seem drawn to sex and violence so often? So, They're very natural. Okay. It's usually not violent just because you feel like you're being, you get angry. Your emotions take control and emotions are very natural. Yeah. Natural responses to lash out. Uh, mm -hmm. You've seen little kids. <laughs> That's the example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing how quickly kids can just blow up, right? And uh, and we feel that too, right? Anger, it's just it just comes on, 
and and often it's unhealthy. Um, but yeah, it's a natural response. Sex also a, a natural response. It's a right. It's a good thing God gives us, and yet it's so easily twisted and into a selfish kind of way or in a way that takes advantage of others. That's how uh, it, it becomes intoxicating. Um, it also take away self-control, right? I mean, that's what being drunk does. Uh, and so he's using this analogy here that, right, when you're angry or when, um, you know, the, the sexual desires are taking over, it, it feels like we don't have any self-control. Uh, and so that's, that's what we have to watch out for, to not put ourselves in those situations and drink what uh, Babylon is, is trying to give us. And whatever, however, it's sending those messages about why violence is necessary or why this kind of uh, sexual immorality is, is okay. Any other things you think about with that? Any other thoughts? I know I'm rushing a little bit. That's what happens when Gary has a lot to say. <laughs> it's good stuff. I'm not complaining. It's, it's good. I want to make sure we can spend our time here that we need to as well, though. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's take a little more time now and look at 9 to 13 uh, with this third angelic announcement. Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice, those who worship the beast and its image and receive a mark in their foreheads and on their hands, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured unmixed into the cup of his anger. They'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus or the faithfulness of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labors, their deeds will follow them. So uh, we broke between verse 8 and verse 9, but I think it's important to see the connection between if you're drinking the wrath, the cup from Babylon, that leads to drinking the cup of God's wrath. And the wrath of God, I think, is best explained in Romans chapter 1, where, where Paul talks about it's um, God giving people over to you know, their own desires. So it's kind of like God saying, all right, you, you say you want that. I'm going to, okay, go ahead and see what happens. So it's best seen as, as our own choices coming back on us, that that's the way God has set things up to work. Um, and so we're seeing how, how this is, is happening, right? When we, if we are willing to drink this, the wine of Babylon, uh, what consequences come from that? And it talks about this wine uh, from God being unmixed. In their time, they would uh, usually wouldn't drink wine straight. You would water it down a certain amount, depending on uh, the, the social function. So being unmixed means it's just very potent. And so here we get this image, uh, a well-known image, again, Gary talked about this morning, of uh, this, this fiery uh, fate for the worshipers of the beast. And uh, there's a lot I can say about this. You know, if you're with me, last, last year I did a class on you know, the afterlife and questions about, about that. But you know, one of the things I see is that there's three interpretations for the purpose of God's fire. It's either to torture or to destroy or to purify. And so we always want to think about, okay, where is this pointing? You can find all those in scripture. And so how do we fit it together? What is it trying to say? Um, but, you know, these verses here, Revelation 4, 14, 9 to 11, is probably the clearest uh, reference to some sort of uh, eternal torment. But keep in mind, this also comes in the most symbolic book 
of the New Testament, right? A way we can check this, uh, it's always important, when am I taking something symbolically and when is it literal and when am I kind of uh, not paying attention there, right? Because we have this image of this wine, the, a cup of uh, wine of God's anger. Um, do we take that as symbolic, but then take the fire as literal, right? That, that's often been the way that I've heard it, but you see how we're kind of even in the same verse, we're taking one thing as symbolic and one is, is not. Um, we want to take it all seriously, right? I think this is very much something to take seriously, but we don't want to be inconsistent in how we're interpreting these images here. You know, one of the ways to think about it, how would you imagine the presence of God to be if you're in rebellion, right? Hebrews 12 talks about God as this consuming fire, and fire is a good image, right? Because is fire good or bad? Well, it depends on the circumstance and what you're using it for, right? It, it can keep us warm. It can cook our food, uh, but it can also burn us if, if we're not respecting it. And so I think that that is a good way to think about, about God or even God's love. How would God's love feel to someone who doesn't want it? And that, uh, that could feel like torture almost. I, I think that's, that's the way that I can make sense of this. And we'll come back to this more. I know we don't have a lot of time this morning, but especially towards the end, it'll talk more about the lake of fire and, and who goes in that and but what is that actually trying to do? Um, you know, it's, it's, we still want to focus on um, God's love and God's way of, uh, well, the way of the land that we see in Jesus. And yet to acknowledge there are consequences if you live apart from that way, right? It is something we want to take seriously but to take it seriously as, as the metaphor that it is. Uh, another reason for that is that fire and sulfur, like it mentions here, is almost always in, in scripture a reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Their destruction, because that's the first image, right? The archetypal image of God's destruction, God's judgment on uh, a rebellious city. Um, and then that when it talks about the rising smoke, uh, that's also, we see this in the prophets. I think their references are there in, in your handout as well as Genesis, that rising smoke is a sign of destruction being accomplished, right? Not like when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, they weren't being destroyed forever and ever. It's, it happened and it's done, right? And you can see the smoke is a sign of that. Um, and so it won't be rebuilt, right? I think the, the big idea here is that when God deals with evil, evil is not going to come back, right? God's defeat of evil, whatever however we define it, is final. Right? And we don't have to worry about it again. Um, and you know, rest is what we are supposed to hope for. Right, That's where it ends for us. There's no rest for those that experience this, but that's our hope. Um, if we imitate the faithfulness of Jesus, that's, that's where it goes. Um, so, well, uh, before we get to the rest, I mean, what, I don't know, how else do you see this? How do you see this used, this uh, image of, of fire here? Um, why is fire a, maybe a good way to talk about God or sometimes an overly negative way to talk about God? All right, well, we'll just kind of leave it open for now. Uh, when we get to chapter 20, we'll get into it a little more. Hopefully, we'll have a little more time on that day. Um, but yeah, look ahead to chapter 20, and we'll see some of this as well, uh, of understanding how this works. Um, the focus here, though, right, it's, it's, it's not about what's going to happen. It's what are we meant to do now? Right? That's always the big focus. What do we do? We're called to endure, uh, to resist under whatever this pressure is to give in. Uh, Jesus 
did that. And so we do that too. We focus on his faithfulness. Uh, it's not just about believing the right things about Jesus. It's trying to imitate the way that he was faithful uh, in, the, in the face of suffering. And so then our hope is to rest. And I don't know about you, that, that actually does sound pretty nice right now, <laughs> this uh, eternal rest. Uh, and again, that, I think that's an image that goes back to Genesis 1, right? When God finishes creation, God rests. And it's not that God was tired. It's that God wanted to sit back and enjoy uh, creation. And, and that's what we're hopefully able to do here. It says their deeds will follow them, right? So it's this heavenly rest, this eternal rest that we hope for. It's about, I'm going to be able to see the good that, that I did with my life and see the way that I loved. Um, you know, there is judgment in that of seeing where we fell short, but um, hopefully there's, there are, there's good in our life, right? In the end, we'll be able to look at and see, you know, here is where I was able to follow the lamb and, um, and uh, see, yeah, see the good. A lot of times, I don't know about you, it's hard to see the good in my life. Right? It just feels like everything is, is not going the way I want it to, or I only focus on the negative in myself. And, and so we need these helpful images, these hopeful images that, that there is rest coming. And maybe you don't know the effects of what you said to that person, right? That, that kind word. Um, we often don't see the fruits of our labors. Uh, we're just planting seeds most of the time. And so this is a promise that in the end, we are going to see where that goes. We'll see uh, our deeds will follow us and we'll be able to rest from our labors and, and rest enjoying them. All right. Well, thanks everyone. I know it didn't leave a lot of room for discussion this morning, uh, but hopefully this enlightened a few things and helped us understand where God's justice is ultimately aiming of making things right, making all things new. That's where the story goes. And uh, even in these kind of pre preliminary judgment scenes, it's still, I think, pointing towards that. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you.